As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Anyway, uh, who cares? It's Hogan Johns. It's really cool just to see how much the city of Chicago, you know, the Bears organization, the Bears fans, show love to a family that they barely even know. It is amazing. I love it. From NBC, NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Hope. Adam Hope. There's no ducking anybody in the NFL. No. It's like the Lions still have NFL players. And from the, from the Athletic, it's Adam Adam Johns. You know, hasn't Justin Fields done enough to at least pique your interest to see what he can do yeah. with them too? It's the Adams. That's the best in the city of Chicago. Hogan Johns. The Adams converge. And we are underway. What's up? Welcome in Hogue and Johns with you with half of us in L.A. for the Super Bowl, uh, the other half in his cozy living room uh, in the Edison Park area of Chicago. (laughs) I I just want you to know that it is now approaching 36 degrees here in Chicago. The snow is melting. The sun is shining. Big guys are wearing shorts down the street. It's a good day in Chicago. (laughs) I needed that because I did not have time to shovel before we left. Uh, my fiance also was too lazy to shovel when I was at the Senior Bowl, so there's just a lot of snow in our back walkway. And my, my plan was, I hope it just melts by the time we both get home. So that's good to hear, because that's the only strategy that's going to work for us. That it is, is the, melting. That is the voice of Robert Mays, who is with me here in L.A. We are on Radio Row, uh, and we're going to do this all together today uh, with a Super Bowl edition of the podcast. We have a rule that we've talked about on this podcast before, Robert, where um, – my rule, at least, is after March 1st, less than two inches of snow, you just don't have to shovel it. You just let the sun take care it's of it. It's a good rule. Yeah. It's a good rule. It was not the right way to handle the amount of snow that we got last week, <laughs> but it was one of those things. I got back from the Senior Bowl, and I was a Saturday, I was like, I just need to relax a little bit. And then Sunday, I had so many things I had to do before I left, and she left for Miami on Monday to go hang out with her parents this week because she refused to sit in Chicago in the cold alone, and so the snow just didn't get shoveled. That's kind of how yeah. we got to this point. I'll approve at this point. I think if you live in Chicago for long enough, you just say screw it, and I'm fine. No, you get some neighbors who roll their eyes. What you need is that like that happy-go-lucky retired neighbor with the snow, you know, blower who just has nothing better to do than take out the whole block. For just you. do the whole block. <laughs> That's what our neighbor does, and we yeah. don't. The, we're this space we didn't shovel is not a shared space. It's just my back walkway. So it, it's it's my problem. No one can judge me. They don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Neighbors right, looking well, out the back window, Maze yeah. isn't shoveling again, unbelievable. You know what? That's it. That's my problem. He, he should 
mind his own business. We we uh, my neighbor went. I think we talked about this, Johns, last year. My neighbor just stopped shoveling the entire year, like <laughs> like twelve inches snow. Nope, not doing it. Um, and then she moved. And and the, now the guy, I don't know if he installed a heated driveway or something, but like he's the greatest snow shoveler in the history of the world. <laughs> and so it's a huge upgrade for us. Uh, that's the nice part about living in the city and yeah. not having a driveway is I don't have to worry about that. Oh, yeah. All I got is like the little tiny patch of sidewalk in front of my Logan Square house, which is plenty for me to have to worry about. John's driveway is basically a city block. Yeah, yeah, yeah long driveway. It's in Chicago and it is a, could be quite the pain to uh, take care of, but that's why you have sons. Chores. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's a good argument for having children. <laughs> snow team. Hey, I don't know what the age is where they stopped thinking snow is cool or shoveling's. They realize shoveling is not fun at all, but like my seven year old still loves it. So we're not going to yeah, tell him yeah. that it sucks. You guys are making fatherhood yeah. sound luxurious. <laughs> I cannot wait for that stretch of my life. When he's begging to go out there sh- and shovel with you, you're like, yes. <laughs> Shoveling is the greatest. Let's These keep are this the going. secrets of fatherhood in the, the upper Midwest. <laughs> I'm going I'm to take notes here. When I'm doing this 10 years from now or ever. Or you can just move to California where my watch says it's 75 degrees right now. Ah, um, you don't have to say that. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Because you're not here and we're going to rub it in. But uh, let's talk some football, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So uh, things starting to heat up a little bit here Tuesday of Super Bowl week. Yesterday was kind of a ghost town, but today getting a little bit better and um i think with you robert we should dive into some of what the bears have done Let's in the do pl- past month because we haven't talked to you since the sky was falling and uh for good reason everybody was mad about a lot of things including yourself uh with the bear so what what are your opinions about what they've done ryan poles and matt eberflus I mean, I remember the last conversation we had, you know, John's, we were talking about whether they should move on from Ryan Pace and whether it would be just a good decision organizationally. And one of the arguments was, and I think the piece that you guys wrote, Adam, for The Athletic was such an indication of this. When you're creating these arranged marriages, you know, over time and you have that lack of alignment between your front office and your head coaching and your coaching staff, it's just a recipe for mistakes. I mean, you're always going to try to be you're always one step behind because you're always trying to figure each other out and there's just no collective vision for how you want to do this. And that's why I think starting over on both sides of this made sense to me. And that's what they ended up doing. I mean, you hear about Ryan Poles, everything I've heard about him from the people that have worked with him in previous stops is encouraging. And it's always going to be when these guys get these jobs, right? But it's not just that bright guy, you know, smart guy, whatever. I appreciated how many people said that he really brought a lot of humility to the process. When you have guys that get elevated to this stage of working in an NFL front office, there are a lot of egos involved. You know, you've been in this business for a long time. I think somebody that comes to it and says, I know what I don't know. I want to surround myself with the right people. I want to ask the right questions. Going and getting Ian Cunningham from the Eagles, I think that the way the Eagles think about some of these problems is really smart. I think the way they've just overall just taken team building as a practice and said, like, this is how we want to go about this. We want every bit of information. I just like the team that they're assembling there, and I like the process that they've been going through there. On the front office side, I think it's nothing but encouraging. The coaching staff side of it, it's kind of funny. You, know, you look at the nine head coaching jobs that have been filled, and especially the eight before, the, all the jobs that have been filled before yesterday when Lovey Smith and Dennis Allen got hired. It's all offensive coaches, all yeah. of it. And you look at the teams that are currently playing in the Super Bowl. 
two offensive coaches from the same tree. You look at the teams that are playing in the conference championship games, four offensive coaches. I do think that it's there's a slightly higher degree of difficulty if as we enter this world where offense is king, where you essentially need a top 10 offense to win a Super Bowl. It's harder to do with a defensive-minded head coach consistently. It's harder to build that infrastructure on that side of the ball. It's not impossible. If you're looking for a success story with the Bears, I think it would reside in Buffalo. That That's where I would look if I were trying to say, what is the best-case scenario here? You have a CEO-type head coach who is a culture setter, overall just sets the vision for what the organization wants to be in, in the same way that Sean McDermott did in Buffalo. And you have a, a, a support system on the offensive side of the ball that can be an incubator for your young quarterback and the offense that needs a lot of retooling. I don't know if this is necessarily the group to make that happen, but if you're building out what would be the best case, the perfect outcome over the next two to three years, that's the model that I would try to be that I'd be trying to follow. That's what I like most about Matt Eberflus saying, like almost immediately, I'm not calling defensive plays. My defensive coordinator is going to handle that. It's just not only a separation from Matt Nagy, who wanted to call plays, went back to calling plays, gave up calling plays. You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Had a lot of trouble with his play calling. They don't want to give it up for a lot of a lot of reasons. Um, he wants to be Matt Eberflus wants to be that CEO. Like you're like you're talking about in Sean McDermott. He wants to have an input on offense. What type of input that is, it remains to be seen. But you're right. If Justin Fields can have the development that Josh Allen had, it almost doesn't matter who becomes his offensive coordinator in year three or year four because of that development and who that quarterback becomes. And you look at other success stories like Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh where you just had Ben Roethlisberger playing well. So... This could be a dream. Who knows if the Bears are right on Justin Fields, but I do like that Matt Eberflus seems to or wants to come in with that CEO mentality right from the start. And you look at the offensive staff. I mean, the Luke Getze side of this is is exciting. You know, that system and what it's done for quarterbacks around the league, the success is undeniable. I mean, look at how teams have chased it. Now when you add Luke Getze to the equation, right, Mike McDaniel going to Miami, yeah, and you have Kevin O'Connell going to Minnesota. They already ran a version of this system. You've got almost half the league running this type of offense. And you know, that Albert Breer report shortly after Matty Bruflus got hired that they wanted this type of system in place. My first thought is, yep, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it is the type of offense that it elevates good quarterbacks. It makes great quarterbacks MVPs seen that with Matt Ryan, you've seen that with Aaron Rodgers, different versions of this offense. And I think that every hire they made on the offensive side of the ball points to them running this type of system. Andrew Noko, their quarterback's coach, was in Minnesota with a guy literally named Kubiak from last year as the offensive coordinator. He, Andrew Lugetzi obviously comes from the Matt LaFleur side of this. Chris Morgan, who's their offensive line coach, was the offensive line coach in Atlanta when Kyle Shanahan was there from 2015 and 2016, those couple seasons. So these are guys who are fluent in that system, and that is what they were going to do on that side of the ball. And what that looks like, I don't, it remains to be seen, but I can understand that offensive plan. In terms of the pedigree of those guys, Andrew Ginoco has one year as a quarterback's coach. That's it. Chris Morgan has done a, a solid job in places he's been, but he's not a headline-grabbing offensive line coach of the sort that I probably would have wanted in that spot. Even on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Alan Williams has been a defensive coordinator in the past, but... The last time he coordinated a defense, 
The Vikings finished 32nd in points allowed. So these are guys that, you know, it could absolutely work out. And I think that Matty Bufloos is a solid hire and a solid idea. But it's not like this is an all-star filled group of coaches outside of, I think, a guy like Luke Getze, who was someone who has been sought after this spring. What do you make of the fact that Ryan Poles comes from Kansas City, but clearly Matt Eberflus, when you get in that interview room, is going to talk about the same things you just talked about, the vision he has for the offense, who he wants to go after. I'm sure Luke Getze's name came up right then and there. And Ryan Poles says, yes, like this is the thing that makes the most sense, not kind of chasing what the Chiefs have done. I, one of my favorite parts about Ryan Poles, and, and I appreciate this when it comes to all coaches and, and, and people in front offices, and I think the same applies to Matt Eberflus. When you have a guy from a varied background, I think it just makes you so much more well-rounded, open-minded, and better able to solve problems when they come your way. You know, Ryan Poles worked for Scott Pioli. He worked for John Dorsey and Chris Ballard. He worked for Brett Veach at the end. You've seen different versions of doing this. You know, the way that the Patriots front office structure is, is is unique. It's distinct in the way that they scout players and the way that they talk about players. And so going from that to what we'll call, I guess, the Green Bay model when John Dorsey got there and then taking over when Brad Veach was there, I just like that. I like having different versions of kind of approaching these things. So Ryan Poles doesn't really come from one personnel tree necessarily. The same goes for Matt Eberflus. You know, Matt Eberflus was at Mizzou when I was at Mizzou <laughs> as the defensive coordinator. And then from there, he goes to Cleveland with Eric Mangini, who was running a you know, kind of Belichickian-style New England defense. In Dallas, when he was there, there were Rob Ryan was there. I mean, that's a blitz-heavy, Rex Ryan-type defense. And then you go and have that Rod Marinelli influence a little bit later. He goes to Indianapolis and runs a system more in that kind of Rod Marinelli style. So he's seen a lot of different ways to do this. And even in the conversations I've had with Matt Eberflus over the years, I've always been impressed by his flexibility when it comes to these sorts of thinking. You know, talking about approaching different quarterbacks. He and I talked this fall about it. and Like, how would you want to stack boxes against guys? How do you want to play the run game against certain guys? And He's not a, well, we need to stop the run or we need to do this. It's, who am I playing against? How do I want to distribute my resources based on the quarterback that I'm going against and what he does well? And I like that. I like that yeah, as a defensive, too. as a principle and also as a way to think about your own quarterback. You know, when you think about Bill Belichick and the success that he's had, and I think that overall the stats as they relate to defensive coaching success are skewed because of Bill Belichick. But Bill Belichick had a conversation with Tom Brady every week. This is how they're playing you. This is why they're playing you this way. I know Brandon Staley has that conversation with Justin Herbert. If you're a defensive-minded head coach, I need you to have that sort of influence on your young quarterback, and I hope that that's the type of relationship those two guys develop. I think what, like you hear Tampa 2 is coming back, and I think there will be like a slight obsession with it because Chicago <laughs> knows it so well, but it's it's... I think we should make clear to everyone it's it's not what everybody remembers it to be. And even Lovey's defense wasn't what everybody thinks it was. Sure, there'll be two deep safeties and cornerbacks in the flat, but his defense will be varied. His coverages will be varied. Um, Zach Kiefer shared this great anecdote on, on our podcast last week about how Eberflus, how he would pick the brain of Philip Rivers during practices. What was that, a couple of years ago? Just to, to get ago, more man. information, to, to find the holes in his defense. From a veteran quarterback who's had a lot of success in this league, a pro bowler, borderline, maybe Hall of Famer, to find answers 
to, to questions he has about his defense or to, to know the answers that uh, I should say that Rivers has for his defense and how he could fix his defense that way. Um, it shows humility. And I think that, humi- like you mentioned um, earlier, Ryan Poles hiring Ian Cunningham from from the Eagles, who's also part of that Raven Street. You know, that's that's humility too. Guys who don't think they have it figured out completely, searching for different answers. And I think at least in the short term, we're only, I don't know, a few weeks into this regime of Eberflus and, and Poles, but that's, that's that, that has stood out to me in that sense. I One of my favorite people to talk about football with since I started doing this is Sean Lee, who played linebacker for the Cowboys for the, you know the last a huge chunk of the last decade. And Sean is one of the smartest football players you'll ever talk to. He, he works in the scouting department for Dallas now. And I feel comfortable sharing this, that he, he told me that Matt Eberflus is just somebody that they had a really collaborative relationship when he was Sean's position coach with the Cowboys, where they'd watch tape and it would be a dialogue about, all right, how do we fix this? Like, how do we solve whatever problem this is? And it wasn't coach to player. It was player to coach, coach to player, back and forth. There was an open line of communication for how they would do that. He solicited information from a guy like Sean who sees the game in a really pronounced and unique way. And I think that's really important. And that's always the sense I've gotten from him is that, you know, we're going to hear about the hit stuff and the hokey stuff. And this is the, these are the taglines and however you want to brand whatever your version of coaching is. But I think that type of interaction with players and treating it that way, that's really, really important. He's always struck me as that kind of guy. And the most important thing with a head coach, offense, defense, otherwise, what kind of culture do you set? And that is so hard to define, but it just the way it feels in the building every day, how your guys go to work, why they want to work that way. And everything that I'd heard about the Indianapolis defense is that the players had started taking ownership of that culture. And that's how you pass it on. That's how you build it. And that's encouraging to me. You know, there are always going to be those concerns in the back of my mind about what the offense is going to look like in an offense first league. But I think in every other way, he's, he checks a lot of boxes for the type of guy you're looking for. I think sometimes we forget, too, that the Colts had – that was their problem side of the ball for a while before Matt Eberflus got there. So it, it's the numbers uh, that show that there was some stability with him there, but I, I think the more important thing is you're bringing up is the buy-in from the players. And, like, when you hear Darius Leonard talk about – you know, how much that hits philosophy actually has helped him as a player. I mean, this isn't just some random player we're talking about. We're talking about Darius Leonard, okay, who, who's like, that held me accountable. Then then that carries some weight. You know, this, I understand when people roll their eyes a little bit at acronyms and, and things like that. But that stuff matters, though. <laughs> like, it really does. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah like, it yeah. really does. Like, it, it's... It really does. Like how you communicate and the ways yeah. that you make your players think and just like the way that information is conveyed and like all that stuff that matters. Well, as long as it makes sense to them, right? Yes. Like that's the key. So like, yeah, as if, long you, as you're not, if you have a stupid acronym that makes no sense, which we've played many times on this podcast, like the keep it likable and learnable or what, what like, okay, what does that mean? Like, what, what, that sounds like an acronym for yourself as you're trying to coach the players. Like, but if you have an actual defensive philosophy where it's four things that the players can drill into their heads and understand why it matters uh not to go back to Matt Nagy's wise but like it but actually that matters too cuz it sounds like Matt Eberflus like does have the why already like he knows what it is or I don't think Matt Nagy ever did I one again going back to this Matt Nagy came from one place yeah no it's 
That's a good point. He came from one place. And I've got I've come to this a lot. I've said this a lot recently. I feel like I'm you can pull a string on my back and this is what comes out. If football is problem solving, it really helps to be able to solve a variety of problems because you've seen it solved a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that that when you silo a coach into one specific background and I have understood West Coast football under Andy Reid, this is how it's been my entire career or Ryan Pace. I have been in one organization. I work for the Saints and that's what I did with one regime this entire time. I do think that it's harder to be flexible and it's hard to solve different types of problems. And I think these guys coming from different places is important. The one thing I'd say about the defense and you, I think the word you used is really, really good stability. It provides stability for the Colts. That's the type of defense it is. It's pretty simple. It's not a lot of blitzing four man rushes in a league. That's become so much more varied up front different front structures and teams being able to throw different kind of curveballs at you with the way the front looks and how it marries to the back end. And as the Fangio kind of system takes over, there are some principles and kind of values of this system that are similar in the sense that we're going to make you earn it. You know, think about what those lovey teams looked like. Yep. I know it can be stable. I know it can be solid. I think it's really hard to make that type of defense great unless you have great players. And that is the biggest question. How good can they be if the players are just okay? And I think right now, if you look at the Bears' defensive roster, it's just okay. So I don't know what that ends up looking like in practice. That's my big question about that system particularly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Because when you're looking for a job, Hogan Johns fans, you want the best experience possible. No questions left to answer and sketchy websites to navigate around. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. And over 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Adam. That's linkedin.com slash Adam to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, to go back to his, his hits philosophy. There's an identity that can be developed through that. I think they could spread out through through the entire team and 
Adam, I feel like you and I have talked about this at length now, is the Bears need that. Like You can't talk about the lack of identity of Matt Nagy's team you know, without having this 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 BU thing come to to, to, <laughs> to to come to mind, it just didn't work at the end. Um, I don't know if that approach led to any identity. I don't think it did. I, I think this hits philosophy on offense and defense can give your entire team an identity. Like you listen to Ryan Poles talk about team building and whatnot. That man knows exactly. What he wants to build. I mean, he uses words like violence, relentlessness, like tough-minded words that I think would connect with him with a lot of Chicago fans, but also with just football players in your locker room in terms of what type of culture you want to build, what type of identity you want to have, and what type of players you want to add and bring in for that culture and identity. They seem to know what they want from the get-go here. It's funny because when you think about the best version of this defense and playing hard and having that sort of attitude and identity for what the franchise feels like, we already saw it. We saw it for like eight years <laughs> with Lovey Smith. Yeah. And the fact that he's a head coach again is just wild. Like as, as part of like this entire kind of conversation where we are right now is so crazy to me, but we saw it with Lovey Smith. Those defenses were good, man. <laughs> they were really good. Think about even the terminology that Matt Eberflus uses loafs, Stuff that goes back to Rod Marinelli when he was the defensive coordinator. Think about some of those individual defenses. 2012, the defense was phenomenal. I mean, they were so good. 2010 was a championship caliber defense. The first year Julius Peppers was there. 2006, they went to the Super Bowl. 2005, I think, honestly, might have been their best defense. They just could not play offense. And that's what I come back to. Even if they play that style of defense, even if it is the best version of that defense, even if they do bring in enough players to run that system, as effectively as possible. If you don't get the offense right, none of it matters. None of it but matters. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there is, like, I think you just said it, but there is buy-in offensively from those guys as well, especially up front. Like, that's what, that's what intrigues me. Like, that relentlessness, that aggressive attitude that Ibraflus and Poles have, have talked about. Like, that can apply to offensive linemen, how you want to approach the physical downhill running game or, or whatever they want to put in with Luke Getze and David Montgomery. Like, that... That worked for Lovey Smith. He just didn't get the run the quarterback right. So if you're right on Justin Fields, you may have some answers figured out. But I, you're right in saying that we've seen it work, and I think it works for some of those offensive guys. I think there's some questions about that, but that approach, that hits philosophy, can work offensively, especially with the big guys up front. So this this is a good spot though to kind of link this to what's going to happen, I guess, in Houston with Lovey Smith, because uh, Robert, you and I were talking earlier today in. It's like, remember what happened in Tampa, though. It was really bad there defensively. So It was really bad. So, I, like, what went wrong there? How does this all translate to today's NFL right now? Um, I, I get the sense that, like, actually, right now, I'd feel more confident that Matt Eberflus is going to be able to adapt that system to fit today's NFL because of what you were talking about earlier, which was his ability to, like, kind of week by week understand what the problem is that needs to be fixed. Whereas I still feel like Lovey Smith needs to show that he's not, that he understands he doesn't have Brian Urlacher in the middle of the field anymore. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe there are hints of that this year as the defensive coordinator down in in Houston, but I'm skeptical to say the least. 
their defense played a lot better than I ever expected them to play this year. And I haven't watched it enough. I'll I'll be completely honest with you. I have not watched it nearly enough. But if you look at the guys who ran that defense that year, Leslie Frazier was the defensive coordinator, and they were one of the worst defenses in the league his last year in Tampa. Leslie Frazier's done a really good job with the Bills. You know, Lovey had the Texans defense in the middle of the pack last season, according to things like DVOA, despite having no talent. So, I mean, maybe it's going to turn out better than it did before, but it was so funny mentioning, you know, joking about the Lovey Smith thing. I just tweeted a, the gift from Jumaji, like, what year is it when he got hired? And people were like, yeah, you know, Lovey deserves another chance. He had a great run with the Bears. They genuinely forgot that he was the Bucks head coach for two years <laughs> and that they were one of the worst teams in the league. I mean, it was, it's so, so crazy that he's getting this third run. And I mean, I think it speaks more to how strange the setup in Houston is than it says anything about Lovey Smith. I just think that franchise is in such a weird place that you almost can't ascribe normal thinking to them in the way that you would with any other team. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the beyond Jets. strange. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's like the problem with I'll the I'll give Bear- the Jets more credit than that, Robert. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the Jags. Maybe the Jags would yeah. be the oh, other Jags. one. Right. Okay. But at yeah. least the okay. Jags That's landed another, yeah. on like, Noted adult and Super Bowl champion Doug Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> he was their first interview. <laughs> well, and I guess you could say the same about Lovey Smith, but it's just how they got there that just doesn't really. Although I guess you could say the same thing about Doug Peterson because it seemed like they had Byron Leftwich if they just wanted to make an, a very what seems like a very obvious move, which was get Trent Belky out of there. It made no sense. It still made, doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's the same conversation we had about Pace. The Lovey thing is just insane. It. He goes from Tampa to be the head coach at Illinois, right? In the moment, it's like, all right, this makes sense for Illinois. You know, this is an exciting idea with a guy who's been to a Super Bowl and is a very well-respected NFL head coach. It does not work there at all. Nope. And then he kind of goes backdoor into this weird Texans team <laughs> where even when they hired him as the defensive coordinator, I was like, well, I guess that's a decision. I mean, it's just been a while since Lovey Smith's been like a really successful defensive coach in the NFL. They're a four-win team. And then he's now a head coach in the league again. <laughs> it just, I even if they did outperform expectations on that side of the ball, but just the path to this moment where he's sitting there with Nick Casario today, being introduced as the head coach of an NFL team in 2022, it feels like some weird alternate timeline where like the beard is literally indicative of him being on an alternate timeline. It's the scene from Community where they wear the goatees. It's just such a weird situation. It it makes you feel better about the Bears' simultaneous searches for a GM and coach. And the the funniest thing about Lovey's return return to me is the the forgotten time of him at Illinois. It's just not even discussed anymore. Was he there for like five years? He was. (laughs) I I covered. I was at every single one of the Northwestern Illinois games, and and they were all bad. They, they, Remember that <laughs> big press conference that they had down there, and like Mark Potash showed up, and Lovey gives him a smirk, and David Hawes in the back. That was a thing here. <laughs> there was a game. Now it doesn't exist. That didn't happen. Uh, you know, the year after uh, Northwestern went to the Big Ten championship game, they had a great 2018 season. Then 2019, they had a horrible season because they had no quarterback whatsoever. And they go down to Champaign, and they win. They beat and Illinois was like making some strides that year, and they go down there and they win by just putting out a quarterback they hadn't played all year and Andrew Marty and just running the ball with the QB the entire game, and they won. And I'm like, this is really bad here. Like this is this could not be worse in Champaign. That all happened. We can't forget it. Could you imagine 
how uninterested Lovey Smith had to be by the idea of recruiting. Oh, he was. Like it, it's, I heard half the time he was just in Tampa. Why would I mean? I understand. I guess it's a job, and like it's a head. You're a head coach of a Big Ten team, but I just can't imagine someone who'd be less interested in the let me go sell this program in some kid's living room in like Sarasota, Florida, on like a random Tuesday in January. It sounds miserable for somebody who's been in the NFL his entire coaching life. No, I think that's why it went wrong. I think it could have maybe worked. To an extent, like I, make under, bowl games. I understand it as yeah. an idea, but then when you go one layer below what the initial headline <laughs> is, it's like, wait, why does this make sense? And then, but hey, listen, good for Lovey. He's now the head coach of an NFL team again. Has any other coach? <laughs> has any other coach legitimately like failed that badly in? In an NFL, now he had all the success in the world with the Bears. Well, not all the success, but a lot of success with the Bears. But he. Tampa did not go well. Then you go huge step down to Illinois, and that's a disaster. And then you end up as a head coach in the NFL again. Cliff Kingsbury is the only other answer. Somebody who was fired from a college coaching job and then was a was an NFL head coach within eighteen months of getting fired from that. Yeah, job. Yeah, I guess that's good. Yeah, okay. That's the, the only comparison I can think of. But at least he had Patrick Mahomes, didn't he? Maybe Dennis Allen with this. Well, Dennis Allen was. He was eight and twenty-eight with the Raiders. That's the only thing. I'm but comparing. that's used when yeah. you, at a certain point when you kind of rebuild it. Dennis Allen has had a top eight defense for the last yeah. five years. I mean, he has a very good resume for getting another opportunity as a head coach in New Orleans or not. Lovey Smith has not spent years rebuilding his reputation as a defensive coach. He did one year for a four-win Texans team. That was the rebuilding. It could work out. Which I have, which I have to say, I, I, Smith, I'm but. actually kind of impressed that the Texans won four games. They they were better than they were than I thought they were going to be. But if this is what you're after, why wasn't David Culley the guy who you'd want to be the coach? Just have right, Lovey Smith right. the defensive coordinator. Right. Yeah. I or or why wasn't Lovey the guy until like literally you hired him? I assume it was something, and I, the, my understanding is there's something to do with assistant coaches and wanting some change over there. And, you know, Pep Hamilton is the offensive coordinator there now, which I, there are elements of what they're going to do there that I do find exciting. Like, I think Pep Hamilton does deserve a chance to be an offensive coordinator after the work he did with Justin Herbert and with Davis Mills down there. But it, the, the adjective that keeps coming to mind, it's weird. It's freaking weird. Yeah. It's just a weird situation overall that I don't fully understand. Tell everyone, uh, what you got going on this week here on Radio Row. We got shows every single day. So we're going to have seven podcasts, eight podcasts coming to you guys between Monday and the time the game kicks off on Super Bowl Sunday. We're trying to hit this thing from every single angle on the athletic football show. We got some you know storyline player-driven podcasts. We've got some guests coming on. We had some big picture X's and O's stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about the teams with our team writers, Jordan Rodriguez and Paul Diener Jr. on Thursday's show. So come back and check it out. I mean, if you want to hit this game and think about this game in every way you possibly can between now and the time it kicks off Sunday, uh, we're going to try to do that for you on the Athletic Football Show. All week long. Good stuff. Make sure uh, I know a lot of our listeners listen to your show as well as they should. Check it out. Um, and then John's, I believe, just make sure you get Robert's address. You have to go shovel for him. Whatever he didn't get done before he left here. That's what we decided. I, I, what would what, you say? You broke up oh, there. Okay, sure. Sure. <laughs> I really would appreciate it. I really hope it melts by the time I get home. I really, <laughs> it really hope it It seems kind of warm there. 
All right. Thank you, Will. All right, we're out of here. Out. You got anything, anything, uh, any final words, Johnsy? No, I don't. <laughs> should we should we plug Kevin funny Fi- California boys? Should we uh, plug Kevin Fishman's curling story? Oh, you, you should because he spent like five months on the thing. I know. Listen, when you cover the Bears, you got to do anything to distract yourself. I mean, I kind of feel like I deserved yeah. at least like a credit at the bottom searches. of it. <laughs> you probably did. Yeah, I'm talked uh, more I, to you about that story than either of you. You know, I'm actually in the story, not not mentioned. But if you look at one of those photos very, very closely, I'm in there. Maybe we'll give an an Avi shirt away to uh, one of our listeners who can actually spot. It's like, where's Waldo? But where's Hogue in one of those photos? That's a good plug. Now people can go look at the story on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns, where you have to go to read that story. Uh, And then, of course, all the football coverage, too. uh, you should be listening to the Athletic Football Show. We'll have another uh, episode of Hogan Johns later this week as well. Um, you can watch us, and you should be on YouTube. Uh, and you can see where Robert and I are sitting with the uh, actually like perfectly centered. I noticed that Trey Hendrickson was in the back when I was doing a show yesterday. It is actually pretty good. It's uh, among all the backdrops in this room. That's not the worst outcome. How'd you guys finagle this table? It's like really good question. Perfect. Yeah, so you can check that out on YouTube. Uh, subscribe and hit the notification button so you know when we go live. All right, Johns and I will be back later in the week. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, uh, at Adam Johns. You're just at Robert Mays, right? I am. There, there you go. Make sure you're following him on Twitter as well. We will talk to you on Thursday. See ya. Anyway, uh, who cares? <laughs>